John Barkley comes up to receive the trophy. This, for the Scarlet's fans, is simply great to watch. They were outplayed in the first half by a Tudor side that picked and win. The 1872 Cup back in Edinburgh hands. They've beaten Glasgow. The first team in 17 attempts to come to Dublin and get a win. How good is that for you? Oh, it's great. All I'm getting at the moment are players shouting, knock on, offside, tackle out the ball. We're in the wrong sport for that. The Zeebo special gets it wide to Earls. And Earls from here means only one thing. The best stadium I've ever played in, the best atmosphere, the, the best supporters. Hopefully one day I'll be back. should of course apologise to any Munster fans listening. Uh, they'll have something to say about whether Leinster are going to be in the final as the Scarlets come again. Oh, brilliant offload. It's Brady with a stroll in under the sticks. Oh, look, it's, it's been a roller coaster um, here all my life. 47-10. Jeez, I thought I was in dreamland when we won the Pro 12. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, hi guys, so uh, welcome to Outside Centres. Uh, last week we were talking to Robbie Owens. Now Robbie Owens does the uh, Squidge Rugby uh, YouTube videos. So he has some like much viewed videos about La Rochelle, uh, why England are awful, can anyone beat Leinster, why are France so shit. I mean it's not all negative, in fact they're fantastic uh, videos anyone who's seen them. And so we're talking to him later on uh, about basically the process of those videos and just um, a few other sort of broad rugby topics. Now, anyone who heard last week heard how bad the quality was. And we just decided that we were going to, because the interview was good enough, we were just going to run with it anyway. So we're just going to, at the end of our, myself and Dan are just going to chat now about the weekend that was uh, in the Pro 14. And then we're going to segue nicely at the end into just listen, uh, the interview we had uh, with Robbie. Um, oh, so smoothly. Oh, so smoothly. You won't, I mean, you won't notice any change in sound quality whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but it will get a lot more interesting, certainly, when he starts talking. Yeah. Well, yeah. it'll be a bit less topical, but a bit more in depth. Yes. Well, yes. Yes. Exactly. Because we're topical now. Aren't exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, so topical. So we're going to talk yeah. about the weekend that was. Yeah. So I think starting off, we'll go with Kings and Ulster. I mean, down in uh, the the packed out stadium that was. Mm. Uh, I think there was more people watching then in the stadium is more than fair to say but I think there's more people standing outside the stadium than watching in the stadium <laughs> it was rather like the, the pictures that were put up were tragic um, I think it's probably a sign that oh who well summer was, hasn't hit yet in South Africa summer <laughs> hasn't hit but also the <laughs> spring don't want to box the, the spring box were playing and they had just after oh, being course. like they just yes, after just beating beat the All Blacks it was yeah. huge so um, I think that was fair to say. I mean, obviously it was a bit. Oh, you're giving them. You're giving them a buy for I'm that. I'm giving them just a bit of a buy. <laughs> a bit of a buy. Okay. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's probably a bit of poor scheduling by the Pro 14. I would say. Um, and worked out well for Ulster. It worked out very well. For They're Ulster. now unbeaten. Them and Glasgow are the two unbeaten sides. Is that true? Uh, yeah. yeah, Ulster and Glasgow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Both with three wins. Um, I mean that's a great start to uh, Hamilton's uh, reign now. Up in, uh, Absolutely. After, after the in contrast to last season as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. My, well, it wasn't all sunshines and rainbow up uh, for the, for Austria. They were only nine seven up after sixty minutes. So, uh, but they managed to. I mean, the the season goes through John Cooney's boot for Ulster so far so it was 9-7 after an hour an hour and yeah, then yeah. it was ended up 28-7 so was that yeah. three extra three extra tries in 20 minutes was it or yep okay. yeah, yeah yeah so I mean it, it definitely is a sign I mean as you said they're undefeated so far so it's a sign of vast improvements for Ulster everyone I remember kind of 
there were even rumours, well, some people were saying at the, uh, during last season, oh, why not just get rid of Ulster Rugby? I mean, <laughs> what, what's going on up there? Um, I think a certain uh, <clears throat> former Irish left winger can kind of shut his mouth now about that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, they said the same about Connacht. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, um, and then Connacht went on to win the league. Well, so I'm not quite setting the sights for Ulster that high yet, but I mean, John Cooney has definitely made a substantial... Uh, impact for them so far and it's definitely making pretty a nasty injury you got, yeah I mean it's a new haircut but uh, we'll go with this I saw uh, that the stitches right, were uh, pretty brutal uh, he'll be out for a while with that though um, yeah but um, I mean it, it is it's a flesh wound at least he didn't uh, he, probably got, he went through I mean, HIA and everything like that but I think he's all he's all good he'll so. be fine okay yeah. so we don't need to worry about autumn for Ireland or what have you no, because that'd no, be two no. scrum halves I mean obviously yeah. he's not in the top pecking order scrum halves now but obviously with Murray gone I mean, be, he comes into the picture yeah well, that, that, yeah. That, I mean if you look at the Leinster Dragons game I mean I think Jameson Gibson Park is doing everything he can to try well, and well I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, Ulster yeah. game yeah. Uh, against Southern Kings because just going to mad one here what I, occurred to me when I was just uh, watching it uh, in the background was that is there a chance that Ulster have more Springbok players than the Southern Kings and I thought to myself well, that that's absolutely <laughs> absurd it would, that like, this Northern Hemisphere team could come down to the Southern Hemisphere and actually have more South African uh, players but you know I wouldn't be saying it only I did yeah. a little bit of research and then did you know? I did I did what's rare is wonderful and, uh, yeah so obviously they've got the flanker uh, Jean Diesel if I pronounced that correctly and Marcel Kutze and they were both uh, Springboks yeah um, crucial in the game uh, yeah well yeah um, I suppose he came on later on yeah. um, uh, Diesel but the uh, but and on the other side of that to contrast that I was looking at the Southern Kings and I could only find one uh, Bjorn Basson who was a Springbok now there are no Springboks in the Ulster squad right now either because they weren't selected for the championship squad by Razzy Erasmus mainly because I suppose they're in the Pro 14 and that scheduling conflicts with the but championship it, it is just scheduling based because there was the whole introduction that Razzy Erasmus has been given this special dispensation that he mm. can pick any players but yeah. Yeah. yeah so the rules in South Africa for selection have changed basically he's been given a free hand to pick whoever he wants well it's changed yeah. from now but yeah. it's going to change back after the World Cup I think yeah but yeah. I suppose that immediately kind of leads on to this kind of interesting question about where South Africa fit in the Pro 14 because if you have a situation where these two only these two teams as Southern Kings uh, and Cheetahs um, are in the Pro 14 and are kind of out of schedule with all of the other uh, teams well then that reduces the chances of any of them ever being selected for the Springboks and then reduces the chances of those teams ever getting the big South African players um, I but I suppose it opens it up. There, like, there were rumors at the end of last season as well about kind of more Pro Fourteen, um, sorry, more South African teams coming into the Pro Fourteen. I think it's an interesting one to look at in terms of how would that actually affect um, the how would it affect the Pro Fourteen and how would it affect South African rugby? Because if you were to have the situation where a lot of the South African rugby teams are now the club teams are now in the Pro Fourteen, it would kind of make it similar to what the the other national teams for the Pro 14 face. I mean, like Leinster, Munster, Connacht and Ulster always have that exodus of players during the um, during the Six Nations and during the November internationals. So would it almost be just making a level playing field right, for I suppose any South African You can countries? have a situation, yeah, I suppose you can have a situation, even if you expanded out uh, into South Africa and you had even more South African uh, 
sides in the competition. Yeah, I suppose at the same uh, by the same token, Leinster and Scarlets always lose these players during Six Nations. You'd be losing these players mm. at the start of the season while the championship is on. Yeah. You'd also be losing them during the Autumn Internationals though as well. I mean, but that's True. the same for all the other international yeah. players. Yeah, I mean, that would yeah, be so the level playing there. field. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, if you'd almost have to wonder, is it at the beginning of the season probably the best time to lose your international players considering most of the Northern Hemisphere sides didn't start their uh, their internationals like I mean Johnny Sexton Johnny Sexton started back. this weekend Peter of course Mahoney's first game Josh back Fleer, yeah. Conway Josh Van der Fleer like, there, there was that was one of the themes for the weekend alright is that the Irish teams with their the home games home Munster and Leinster yeah. yeah that they put out their big players their yeah. big guns yeah no I th- yeah I think it's definitely interesting it, just looking at the victorious return for the Leinster uh, international players Johnny had quite well a slow start I mean I think there was definitely some cobwebs that needed he didn't to get injured it was a great start yeah, yeah. yeah true but I mean the first half um, didn't they weren't making it look easy I mean 17-3 in a Leinster versus Dragons game I mean I think the Dragons probably would have been happy with that as a half time score but then thank God uh, mm. Josh scores the try uh, everyone starts kind of the motors start taking properly. Uh, definitely saw a vast improvement in the second half. And it was a great try from uh, Gwent Dragons as well. Oh, sorry, I Jordan mean, Williams, yeah. Yeah, we ended, I think we ended uh, talking to Robbie last week kind of laughing at Dragons, which was not like, <laughs> our intention. That was something he did. It just naturally <laughs> happened. Who knew? So it's nice to say something positive about the team. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. I mean, I, th- I don't think there's anything more stereotypically Leinster rugby than when... An opposition player scores a try and everyone just stands up and goes, oh, what a fantastic try. And everyone yeah. stood up and clapped. Oh, so like, yeah, well, you're you're going to put oh, that gosh. down to politeness rather than being patronised. Oh, yes, right? of course, of course. <laughs> now, so, such oh, gentlemen don't the you crowd, scored yeah. against us. <laughs> yeah, uh, against us last year, yeah, whatever. Um, but no, I think that the, yeah, I mean, there was definitely signs of improvement uh, from Leinster in the second half. I mean, it's a, a weak start, but yeah, like, uh, like I said, I think it was kind of brushing the cobwebs off. But um, I think one team that doesn't really have as much problems with brushing cobwebs off anymore is Glasgow. Uh, watching the watching back on the Glasgow Cheetahs game, there were some fantastic and clinical plays. Um, for it was Glasgow a big scoreline. Yeah, fifty-two twenty-eight to the, uh, to Glasgow. I mean, it was close. I mean, one of the key things I think that differentiated the two teams was both teams got a yellow card, but. When Cheetahs had a when sorry when Glasgow were shown a yellow, a yellow card, Cheetahs scored three points. When Cheetahs were shown a yellow card, Glasgow scored three tries. Yeah, well that was that's huge. Yeah, well that's kind of the other side of the coin, isn't it? Uh, Cheetahs were ahead at thirty minutes, yeah. and then got the yellow card, and then Glasgow I mean, got three tries in those ten minutes, and then never looked back. Exactly. Now, obviously, credit to Glasgow, you take your chances. Yeah. But the scoreline perhaps isn't quite representative of what happened in the game because obviously there comes a point where you just let it go and Cheetahs did just let the game go and say, well, yeah, yeah, but I think that that's what you see when you when you see a top class side, they really can put a team away and they don't let the other team even remotely come back into it. Like mm. for for Glasgow, uh, I mean Adam Hastings had a phenomenal game. Ali Price getting two tries, doing the father proud. Adam, Adam Hastings, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, as you said, uh, Scottish royalty. Mm. So, um, but it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and I do, I don't think this is this particular game was a flash in the pan for Glasgow. I mean, going back and watching their game against Connacht at the beginning of the season, as has been shown so far uh, in the Pro Fourteen, home advantage is massive, and then. I suppose going down and Glasgow really showing their class and going down and beating Cheetahs in South Africa, huge. 
So I, I do think it, like, Glasgow are starting to show their class. Yeah, well, they've my, won the last three games. Yeah. My one concern, though, is, as happened last year, are Glasgow going to focus too much on the Pro 14? I suppose this is really where you can criticise... Well, I mean, it depends on which perspective you're taking. I mean, if we're going to focus completely on the Pro 14, it's not a concern. I mean, it's great. The Glasgow throw all of their... Uh, all yeah. their efforts into the Pro 14 and then sacrifice Europe or European ambitions. But though. did that help them last year? Um, they, got a, they got a buy in the first round of the playoffs or whatever for the Pro 14 but at the end of the day they weren't in the final Yeah, and they didn't even look that like Scarlets well, Scarlets okay Scarlets weren't uncomfortable sorry Scarlets weren't comfortable but they weren't uncomfortable Yes, I suppose it'd be different if their season had got had included a quarter final of the European Championship. It would have been a relatively successful season, mm. but it didn't. It was kind of they were completely no. washed out yeah. of the European tournament. Yeah, exactly. They didn't win a game. They, I, I, I think, as you were saying before, they lost one game, and that they thought they were going to win in the in the Champions Cup, and then once they lost that, they said, "Ah, hell, yeah." Well, the French let, approach. Yeah, well, why exactly. let's worry about our domestic league, not worry about the European Championship. Exactly, and that's the level I suppose they need to be aiming for. If they if they overdo it in the Pro 14, maybe they won't hit that level in Europe, which is they deserve to be getting into the quarterfinals. So they did, at they least do challenge I mean, very they strong. Ha- they have players, and I suppose last year even more so, they had players that really should have been playing at a high-caliber club European rugby uh, le- level. I mean, they had Finn Russell, they had uh, Ali Price, uh, they have hmm. uh, Stuart Hogg. I mean, they still have Stuart Hogg, they still have Ali Price, they have Adam Hastings, who's making more enough, more than a case for himself, Tommy Seymour, um, they have Hugh Jones. I mean, they really are staking a claim um, but they're former champions. They, I mean, I don't think. Yeah. Any, I mean, the claim I suppose would be that Leinster are the best in the league. And anyway, and if you dispute that, you know, there's the interview with Robbie we had last week to yeah. clarify any doubts. He's even got videos. <laughs> he does. He's, he's, he's even sometimes disguised videos about how good Leinster are in others' videos. <laughs> it's great. It's and great. we were well. I and I suppose in that conversation we were just saying that there's no way of getting away from the fact that it's Leinster, Scarlets, Munster, Glasgow. I mean, they are the four, and that's the order names. too. Uh, possibly, possibly, but yeah. there's there's nothing stopping uh, Glasgow rising to the top this year at all. I mean, nope. the momentum is behind them right now. True. I mean, even talking about Munster there as well, you've definitely seen they're on the rise. Um, unfortunately, and I mean, as as Leinster fans now, you have to say it's like a it's like an ex girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever. It's seeing Joey scoring a try for another team. It's hard, it's hard. I didn't even watch it then. It's hard. <laughs> I mean, it was all over Instagram for me and uh, there were so many memes made about it. It was great. Um, but it's just... Uh, you have to appreciate the skill. Um, what was the score with Munster again? It's 49-13 uh, against the Ospreys. I mean, you had the big guns being brought back in as well. You had Peter... Ospreys, and... are, Ospreys are potentially in a bit of trouble this season. Um, well, yeah. They, I mean, they, start, they had a nice start, but then they just... Mm. They did they particularly have a great start? Well, they won the first two games. Um, okay, but they were were destroyed there by Munster. Yeah. And uh, next week, who I, are they facing? They're um, I want to say Scarlets. I want to say Scarlets. Uh, they're against Bad and Javiso. Ah, okay, never mind. Yeah. Um, but speaking I, about teams with a run of form, yeah, true. Well, uh, but just on the Ospreys thing, they yeah. did have twelve changes going into the Munster game, so right, I think okay. they're really being experimental. Either they were writing this game off. Or they felt that they really hadn't had a stronger side right, uh, okay. in previous games. Or oh, they're playing some sort of games. That's something to actually talk to Robbie about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were talking to Robbie last week about Ospreys, actually. Yeah. For all the Ospreys he, he fans. Was, he was very uh, very optimistic about them. But, uh, he was. He's a, he's, yeah. a, he's a devoted fan. Yeah. 
however introgative he, he may be. I mean, <laughs> he's living, is, if, yeah, it's a bit living off glory days. Can I, can, on Osprey, yeah, for Osprey's, yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's been a while since Osprey's been at the top, it's yeah, true. true. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Bennett and their, and their run of form. I mean, obviously... Um, they, put it, they put it up to Scarlet's. Uh, they did, they did. Um, the, they were only a point uh, behind, was it? As, uh, it was 31-29 at 80 minutes. And then Scarlet scored yeah. the try then after 80 minutes. And I think yeah. sort of what's interesting about Benetton, obviously we saw last year they beat Leinster and obviously they're going to have these flash in the pan results. Yeah. Some people would call that a dead rubber game. Did it really matter? But they've been, they've had a decent enough start to the season. I mean, yeah, like they put it, they put it up to Scarlet and they beat Cardiff. Yes. And um, they're, uh, they've won, they've won two games. They're two out of three. Um, and what's interesting when you look at them, I know people always say that, oh, if you keep your eye on these Italian sides, the, the rise is coming. And I suppose what's interesting about uh, Treviso is that they brought back their, the, in terms of the backs, they brought back some big names by Italian rugby standards. So uh, Gori, Tommaso Allen, Tommaso Benvenuti, Jaden uh, Hayward, Ian McKinley. Some they brought back, some have been with the club uh, a while. And some have been Irish. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, tr- yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone, I suppose, no. in modern rugby yeah, can yeah. sort of throw stones in that regard. But, yes. uh, yeah, and I mean, some of their flankers are old and non-Italian as well, yeah. even though they have Italian passports. Yeah. But their props, by and large, are born in 1994. Um, and they uh, aren't sort of like the superstars uh, of Italian rugby. So what you have, I suppose, with Benetton is you have kind of this investment. There's money going into it. There's investment bringing players back, holding on to players, and they are investing a little in their own uh, stock and their own kind of uh, their own kind of Italian stock. There's this uh, system in Italian rugby um, where they invest in the strongest players. So rather than um, emphasize the most skillful. Um, uh, the person with the best eyes in the pitch they basically are the best hands they emphasise size and strength and this has led to uh, well we don't know what success has led to we know that basically the props in uh, Benetton and the props in Zebre but are all mainly coming from Parma from their academy system and are mainly doing quite well because Zebre have started the season quite well too Zebre have started surprisingly well I mean Okay, in this latest game, I think Zebri have really kind of staked claim that their home advantage is one not to be messed with. Uh, they had a bit of a shaky start against Cardiff. I mean, they went 21-0 down. Mm. But the final scoreline was 26-24 to Zebri. Yes, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's an indictment on Cardiff. They celebrated like they'd won the World Cup. Yeah, Zebra, they yeah. got to try in the 78th minute. Yeah. And fair play to them, so it they should have celebrated. It was huge. I mean, yeah, I... I as we're saying with the South African teams maybe it's a bit easier to beat them when you're playing at home and they're away obviously all the travelling and stuff but for Zebra they they really are trying to that's their fourth uh, home game win in a row that's a new record for them yeah. so like it, like it is definitely starting to and they won some like four in a row if you take in, uh, um, if you take into account last year's championship as well so the as was the, the games at yeah. the end of the season I mean, which for them is like an incredible yeah, four run. is like almost double digits yeah <laughs> but the interesting thing yeah. to watch about it, uh, these Italian sides I suppose Benetton in particular is that when Six Nations season comes around and when the Autumn Internationals come around yeah. the problem of bringing all these players back uh, as I was saying um, or even creating through your academy system really great players who stay with you is uh, that when Six Nations comes all those people disappear because they are definitely the ones being selected for the Italian side yeah. so you saw for example uh, as you were saying Benetton didn't have a particularly bad season last season um, I mean they beat Leinster uh, quite well in the RDS 
you can't be having a bad season if that happens, no matter what the excuses Leicester uh, no. trot out. But in the opening nations, uh, opening weekend of Six Nations, they lost fifty-seven twenty to Cardiff. To Cardiff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to Cardiff. Well, no, considering yeah. the, the weekend that's been. True. So that's 57-20. So that is the difference that, that the Six Nations makes. Yeah. So we'll, I mean, what system is in place in Zebra or Benetton to deal with the exodus? We don't know. I mean, so they'll be uh, important. They're, yeah, their depth would definitely be. To watch. But I mean, certainly based on this weekend, there's no reason why Benetton shouldn't be going to Europe. None. Yeah, that's very true. Hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, it's... You, you can see that they definitely have the quality there, considering how far Scarlets have gone in the in the championships, uh, the European like European uh, Champions Cup, or even just the Pro 14. There's definitely you can see the profile of Italian rugby on the back of like even a close loss like it was. Uh, the profile of Italian rugby really starting to come up. I think are we going to give some of that credit to Conor O'Shea? I have to give something. Yeah, well, this system, as I'm saying, that this kind of counterintuitive system of just investing in strength. Rather than skill, I mean, well, if they yeah. have a great season, that has to be looked at. Yeah, true. I mean, this probably backs your argument that well, the English Premiership system does actually work. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. was yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be talking about that again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, an yeah. argument I stick to. Yeah. So I suppose the theme from the weekend is that uh, Glasgow are playing well, which bodes well for the competition. as final yeah. is in Glasgow, so yeah. the organisers will be happy, mm-hmm. and Ulster are playing well. And could be, I mean, well, let's not over overthink or overstate that. Ulster are playing yeah. well. I think they probably deserve a break, that team. So yeah. if they had a good season, I don't think anyone would hold it against them. No. Uh, I think maybe just the one last thing I wanted to touch on was uh, perhaps the Edinburgh Connacht game. Um, I oh, think sorry. that was. Uh, so Edinburgh went 17 0 up and ended, it ended 17 10. Uh, I think Edinburgh have a couple of issues they need to work on there. I, I think, think the, I saw that game. Unlucky. I think, and I think you said to me, and maybe I'm wrong here, that uh, Edinburgh nearly threw away that lead. Do you think? Yeah, that Connacht they did. came close, did they? I think Connacht were a bit unlucky not to. Like, the so the weather was a massive factor in that game. It was quite sloppy, and I think the way Andy Friend is now playing rugby in Connacht, he's making Connacht much more of a running rugby style. Um, which is a bit unfortunate in wet weather especially do they know where they're playing do they know where the home ground is um, so I think that it might, maybe the tack might need to change um, for Connacht for Connacht later on in the season once the rain starts but to hit how, but sure, that's how they won uh, the Pro 14 is they never kicked the ball they just passed it and ran yeah but I mean, I mean the be, weather hasn't changed significantly in Galway since it will be interesting <laughs> global warming now <laughs> oh it wasn't they weren't sunny days but two years ago yeah, yeah. Uh, or three years ago when the, uh, they won the championship no. but, I, but I think but I do sunny think on the days. rise but um, I mean that, that game itself was in Edinburgh but um I think it's just... And it, they have Scarlets, of course, this weekend. So that's... I mean, Scarlets have had close games. We don't really know what form true, they're in. True, um, And Connacht will definitely test them. There's, they can beat Scarlets. There's no question they can beat Scarlets at home this weekend. Yeah. So I think it'll be an interesting one to see and kind of see what style of rugby is really going to be the one that wins it for teams in, in the Pro 14 at the moment. Kind of... The, you have a mixture of some kicking teams, a mixture of some classic mm. like forwards-oriented teams. I mean... It's it's going to be a wide variety, but I think it'll be an interesting one to see. Well, the weather will yeah. probably win, really. At the end of the true, day. The true, will true, probably true, win, true, true. and they'll and they'll be able to run the ball. Yeah, but I, th- I think when it comes <laughs> if to they're then, serious about winning the competition again, they'll run yeah. the ball. Um, but um, I, I think it's it's going to be an interesting one to see uh, in terms of the much quoted stat that uh, Pro Fourteen had at the end of last season, which was that Leinster that um, the Pro Fourteen League itself had the fastest rugby ball of all. 
So I think that'll be an interesting one to see. I know uh, we were talking to Robbie about that as well, so it'll just kind of be... How, what what yeah. impact does that actually have? Yeah, and some interesting kind of uh, an interesting discussion around that about what that actually means. The stat that Pro 14 has fast football, not to even question it, but what it would actually mean. It might not necessarily mean what the Pro 14 wants you to Most think it means. Most free flowing. Yeah, I think they're yeah, really leaning towards that. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. we'll, we we'll talk to Robbie about that. Yeah, so uh, we're going to we're going to fade out now, and yeah. uh, we're going to go back to the audio we had with Robbie uh, last week. We're going to talk through basically the process by which he makes these videos. I mean, I'm very excited by these videos because I think yeah. the craftsmanship in them was incredible and I think a lot of fans uh, would agree with me there and then we go on to talk about this question the broader question of uh, using his in-depth analysis we're able to use uh, able to get some real good insights and there's lots of lots of things flashing up on the screen as we're talking to but unfortunately you can't see that in the podcast Uh, we're joined here now by Robbie Owens Uh, lots of people will know him from uh, his YouTube videos Uh, they've had been a massive success Um, they, they have Robbie (laughs) <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna delve into that success now <laughs> okay okay i know uh in an email exchange you were saying that um it takes maybe an hour and a half or two hours to produce every minute yeah and um something that uh struck me i was just there's two sort of moments in your videos and anybody who's listening um would uh who's aware of these videos um they tend to be relatively thematic yeah. uh why have france gone crap Wireless, <laughs> uh, and in particular, I suppose the, the La Rochelle one as well, which I think hmm. maybe came out. The Actually, I suppose we we'll start there. What attracted you to doing one on La Rochelle? Um, I think I wondered that question as well. Just who are they? Where have they come from? Hmm. It was, as I mentioned in the video, they sort of appeared suddenly, having been this team I heard of, didn't know anything about at the bottom of the French division, didn't care they were going to be relegated next season. Fine, um, and then suddenly they were at the top. I had no idea what was going on there. And it was the following season then when they, they were in the, the European Cup. Um, I think it was a yes. game against Ulster, which was sort of I think, their first game, um, where actually they were really entertaining to watch. And I slowly, over a few months, sort of started you know, picking up on bits through watching them in Europe and through watching you know, odd games you'd see on Sky and the top 14 uh, and began to notice that, that pattern, as I talked about in the video of them playing, that, as I put it, um, expansive rugby in compact areas. Um, and I just began to think, actually, that's interesting. And the more I looked into them, the more I did research around them, I thought, this is a really interesting topic. I'd like to do a video on it. Um, so it sort of, yeah, came out just finding that and stumbling across it, basically. I, I think the main, uh, the main take I got from it, the main mm. impression I got was it was like uh, Moneyball for rugby. Uh, yeah. The idea was that you had uh, this management team who said, well, listen, we can't afford the best, but mm. let's go for the best we can get in the position we have. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like that. Only, well, only one of them looked anything like Brad Pitt. <laughs> um, speaking of movies, though, uh, there's <laughs> two moments uh, that I just wanted to uh, just point to contrast. So yeah. uh, you're talking about uh, the French. In one of your French videos, uh, you're talking about how shit the French are. Yeah. Uh, why are they shit? Will they continue to be shit? Mm. And you, you flick to this uh, black and white moment where a guy mm. has snows in the air, he's got a smell. And this is the first question that comes to mind is, are you, when you're saying, okay, I'm going to throw in a video of somebody in a 40s movie, do you just yeah. go, guy smelling shit? Or do, <laughs> or do you, um, when you're watching things, do you actually take a note and say, oh, that might be interesting. Oh, I might throw that in. 
I just Google guy smelling shit smelling shit. It's a coincidence. Um, no, that's my personal one. Um, no. Yeah, it was... Uh, there was another one with the weakest link. I think with the weakest link, yeah. um, the Connor Murray piece. Yes. You, you to illustrate how stupid rugby players are. I just was handed to you, really. You go to a Celebrity Weakest Link show where a rugby player couldn't answer who Harry Potter was or something. Yeah. There's another one on that one because it was a rugby player's special of The Weakest Link. Um, I think it's Thomas Castanier, the former France player, uh, who was asked... Oh, it was... Oh, no. Um, it was like bourbons and custard creams are types of what? Uh, and he said butter. Uh, <laughs> Apparently they don't have biscuits in France. What a loss. <laughs> what they're missing out. Um yeah, some of those so the weakest link one, just I remembered that clip. I remembered watching that show when it went out. Uh with the I say the black and white clip. Um I'd weirdly spent an afternoon just watching this was a few months ago, uh like sixties instructional videos. Right, yeah. Which is just absurd and ridiculous. Um, and often those are the things that just something I'll have watched months ago. I think, oh, I can use that to illustrate this point. I can come back to that. And I began watching a few of them back to try and find clips that looked looked right and looked like the guy yeah. smelling shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, I suppose, everything I do, the supposedly procrastination, I try and feed back in and make useful. Um, I know uh, in one of the, in the email exchange I was comparing you to Adam Curtis, and uh, I, you said you take that um, to people around this. Adam Curtis does these documentaries, BBC, uh, BBC person who does documentaries filled with relatively obscure coverage, uh, obscure clips thrown together. But uh, his method is that he just does not stop watching videos. That's what he says. And he'll take notes of things that interest him in videos, but he goes through the archive in the BBC. And I suppose the reason why I'm saying that is because you said you just found yourself watching instructional videos from the 60s. Most people don't find themselves watching <laughs> Yeah. I've heard this. <laughs> I just, I think I, a friend of mine sent one to me and I thought it was funny. And I fell down like a YouTube hole of just watching these. They were just like, how to throw a dinner party. It was like... Clarence, next you need to bake the potatoes, but don't forget to ask your wife to do it for you. It was sort of like properly like gender roles and just really outdated. I just found them quite funny. Uh, but I'll take the, I'll take the Adam Curtis comparison any day. Sorry, go on. Okay, I mean he is he is uh, he is incredible. Um, but uh, but as I was saying, I think your videos are probably too funny to be Adam to be compared to Adam Curtis. In fairness. Um, and in terms of that, uh, I think a lot of the humour of your videos might actually be missed to a lot of people who might treat them like podcasts, I suppose, because there's an incredible amount of detail in the videos and an incredible amount of comments you throw in there. Mm. I'm just wondering, have you ever got a reaction to those comments? As How so? Well, I mean, through email or uh, comments, as was on the YouTube videos. Um, I get odd people picking things out I've said and mentioning in your YouTube comments on Twitter, etc. Um, I haven't had anything from anyone themselves. I haven't had, well, other than Sam Warburton, which was bizarre. Um, but I haven't had Clive Woodward pick up on, you know, anything I've said about him in a comment. Um, <laughs> thank, thankfully. Clive um, Woodward has better things to be doing, I suppose, this day. He's, he's, he's doing yeah. the, the dinner he's, circuit. He's got a World Cup. He doesn't care what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But tell us about Sam Warburton. Here's uh, Peel now. Yeah. 
yeah, that, save you? That was bizarre. Um, it was the the day I put that video up, and I've gotten the habit now of basically because uh, when I put the first one up, I felt sort of anxious of like how's this going to go down, how's this going to go, and like I sent it to a number of people, a number of sort of things on Twitter and so on, trying to spread it about, uh, and just went right. I'm going to go to the closest cinema. I'm just going to see whatever's on next two hours so I don't look at my phone I don't look at anything for two hours and I got into the habit of doing that sort of going to the cinema each time I put a video up uh, so I came out of the new Mission Impossible uh, having really enjoyed it, enjoyed it and turned my phone back on and there was like 300 Twitter notifications including one from Sam Warburton himself um, which said oh, yeah, enjoyed the video thanks for appreciating the dark arts thanks for all the support I really appreciate it um, and I almost exploded in the cinema lobby. <laughs> well, I mean, you didn't really have anything bad to say about him in the video, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He's not quite Woodward. Um, the, and I do wonder sometimes, do you think that the amount of detail that you put in, I suppose, I don't know how to frame the question, do you think that sometimes it might be missed? I mean, there's one comment here, I was just, I mean, I had to, uh, yesterday, I was just trying to catch a comment. I knew it was something rude about Rob Carney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't figure out what exactly it was, and I had to keep trying to pause, and then eventually I saw it, and it was something along the lines of, uh, he falls for every dummy, seriously, have you ever seen him face two men uh, coming at him? And that, I think, was the line. But yeah. you had to pause quite strictly to, to catch it. I'm just wondering... Um, do you feel, to a certain extent, that it's almost like a blog and a podcast in one? So that's an interesting thing, actually, yeah. Um, the way I always looked at those is they're sort of extras that you can look for if you want, and, you know, you can perfectly as easily ignore. And I like to think anything that you, you need to get to, uh, you know, to enjoy the video, hopefully. Uh, you can get one viewing round and it's on the screen for long enough, um, whereas there's other bits I put up as, like, as I say, as extras. Um yeah, Easter eggs and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So there are things in some videos that are on screen for a frame. Um, yeah. And, you know, there are jokes that I know literally no one will get, um, but they used to me. And I think, well, if there's enough things in there, it's okay if literally two people get that joke I put in because, you know, two different people get this one and two different people get that. That's how I justify it to myself anyway. Um, but, yeah, there are a lot of people always saying, slow down, etc. Um, yeah. I've developed a style by this point, and I'm quite happy with the way I do it um, and I like packing it up as much as I can feeling like I put everything in I possibly can into the video and you're saying so a video like that would take you a weekend a full weekend is it? Um, it's often more than that it depends um, so the sort of normally basically the process is to sort of run through it uh, is once I've sort of got a topic in mind I'll do some research um, so that's both I'll read up on it I'll read what I can around the topic as well as watching games back and either applying what I've read about it or trying to spot other things myself as well um, in terms of both analysis and just patterns and whatever. Um, and then once I've got that, I'll begin and sort of I'll make notes. Um, so like for the, the damn bigger one, I went through, or the Wales Fly Half one, for example, I went through both of the games damn bigger played in the Six Nations up to that point and wrote down like his every touch and what he did in a notebook. Um, so often they are quite detailed, the notes I take. And then once I've got those notes, I'll begin to write a script and I'll do a few drafts of that. Um, and then once I've got that, I'll record it and then sit down to properly edit it. And that will take, yeah, if I, it's normally a few days uh, if I'm to really go for it and I'm to sort of, you know, spend all day, every day on it, which is to say I can. Um, so the the last one, the Crusaders one, I did in about three days, the editing bit. 
uh, but because I knew what I was doing and I knew where I was at that point. But it was sort of getting up at like nine in the morning and basically with just a couple of breaks from working through to like 10 at night, um, just because I have no real respect for my body or my... <laughs> but it wouldn't be fair then to say it's even like three days because I suppose you're always thinking about it. So of an evening, you're watching a game and maybe taking a couple of notes that you might use in a couple of weeks' time. So it's, it is an incredible amount of work. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite think it was going to be I this much. I appreciate those stories that I meant. I think, I think you've, got a, you've got a big and growing fan base. I think, <laughs> I think it is working out. Um, the I don't want to say I came to I came to dead air there. Sorry. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose just to move on. Sorry, we've been talking for a while. Yeah. So we want to talk more about rugby. Uh, yeah. And um, you uh, now you are. Do you go to games yourself, Robbie? Um, not that often because you know, I'm sort of exiled. I've grown up in in Nottingham in England um, with Welsh parents, so don't get many chances. You know, living in the East Midlands to get down to Wales to watch games myself. And um, that, that's, that's the choice for you. Either you're an Ospreys fan, of course, so you're either going to Ospreys or that's it. You're not going to go to the Premiership Games. You haven't um, found one that fits you, no? <laughs> I've been to watch uh, Nottingham in the Championship and Leicester uh, a fair few times, but you know, not regularly because I'm not, I guess, invested in the same way. Yeah. That's fair enough. And uh, so I suppose to get into what we were talking about previous, mm. uh, I think, on our email exchange, yeah. If you want to talk about the rock Oh, yeah. So I, I suppose um, it's through the email exchange we've been talking about. Um, one of the things that particularly struck me at the end of last season, Robbie, was mm. how Pro 14 really were pushing this statistic that they had fastest rooks uh, on average across the Northern Hemisphere leagues. Mm. I think that was kind of an interesting approach. And it almost really trying to get people to earmark them as uh, the Northern Hemisphere equivalent of Super Rugby, in a sense. But, uh, yeah, so it's kind of the idea um, what motivates the faster rooks in the in the Pro 14. I think you're saying it's it's kind of the players themselves wouldn't be as established. So it's really trying to just catch them off guard. But I think, is, is there any more to that? I mean... Well, so what, what's your explanation as to why there would be... Uh, quicker rook ball in the Pro 14 versus the Top 14 or the Premiership? I think there's probably a large number of factors that, as with sort of as anything in rugby, I suppose, uh, but a large number of things that would factor into it. Um, but I suppose partly, as you're saying, um, there's something in you know players not being playing a different standard to what they used to. Um, either there was an interview with Sam Warburton um, fairly recently in which he talked about basically stepping down to the Blues level um, and how things you know, played out sort of slower uh, to a degree in which he wouldn't be as involved in the game as he would because he was used to playing at a far quicker pace. Um, right. So a bit like sort of, you know, like I'm, with I mean, both quite good at Tetris. Um, and so <laughs> I naturally, I dropped the blocks incredibly quickly because I'm used to it playing, the game playing far quicker than it does when you first start a game. Um, yeah. And I think it was sort of that sort of thing of just he wasn't getting as involved because he was having too long to think about it. I don't know if there's something in that, uh, but then equally you've got young players... Um, who are stepping up a level and you haven't yet found that, so you've got something of a level in between. Um, you've also got... Sorry, go on. Yeah, just a side question there, I suppose, because just it ties into the Sam Warburton video. If yeah. he felt he was kind of dropping down a level with Carrick Blues, did, did that not have an impact on his international game? I mean, you'd say not. Uh, well, yeah, I, I didn't find not. I don't know if that was why, because he wasn't adapting down. You know, he didn't play much with the Blues, really, um, especially over the last few seasons. 
Uh, I don't know if that was a factor in why he was able to maintain you know, form at international level, because he wasn't going up and down. He wasn't having to adjust, I suppose. I don't know. Um, I suppose you'd have to ask him. Uh, so, but I suppose, um, mm. so one of the points that I think uh, was made there was just the idea that if you have uh, better players mm. uh, they're able to, uh, against weaker defences, they're able to speed up the ball and take advantage of this. So the fact that you've got a fast, uh, you've got fast ball might actually be indicative of a disparity in the league, I suppose. Um, would <laughs> would you buy into that idea? Yeah, yeah possibly. Um, I think, as I say, there's probably just endless numbers of, of possible solutions, and just you know the the way teams choose to play in terms of do they look to attack more? Um, as I think I mentioned in the France video, not to repeat myself. Um, but often people talk about quick ball being, assuming it means attacking ball, um, when actually France had the quickest rock ball in the Six Nations. Um, and it's just because they're just doing endless, just sort of you know, one-out runners, just forward drive after forward drive rather than attacking. Um, mm. So there are different explanations for it. It's not as simple as, and it isn't saying that that's less legitimate, you know. But yeah, there's there's a number of different explanations for that statistic. I, I think the implications as well, it, it, it kind of is assumed that's going to be faster ball. But I think if you look at how mm. the apprenticeship started this season, it's been the defence hasn't been fantastic. There's been yeah. quite a lot of broken tackles and stuff like that as well. So it's kind of seen implications. Yes, they're saying that's quicker with ball. But I think, yes, yeah, your point about France, uh, does that mean that they're just taking it into contact a lot more often? And as a result, then you're going to have quicker ball from that. So is it just going to be pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll? Or is it going to be more free-flowing in rugby? I think that will come kind of later in the season when you see more of the internationals coming back in Pro 14. You might actually mm. see how does that actually crystallise into is it going to be more free-flowing in rugby or is it just going to be stop-start? I think it's kind of an interesting approach to take as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, sorry again about that audio with, uh, with Robbie. Hopefully we'll get something a bit more sorted uh, next time we're talking to him. But uh, for now, yeah, that's all from us this week. So we'll chat to you guys again. John Barkley comes up to receive the trophy. This, for the Scarlet's fans, is simply great to watch. They were outplayed in the first half by a side that picked and win. The 1872 Cup back in Edinburgh hands. They've beaten Glasgow. The first team in 17 attempts to come to Dublin and get a win. How good is that for you? Oh, it's great. All I'm getting at the moment, a player shouting, knock on, offside, tackle out the ball. We're in the wrong sport for that. The Zebo special gets it wide to Earls. And Earls from here means only one thing. The best stadium I've ever played in, the best atmosphere, the, the best supporters. Hopefully one day I'll be back. I should of course apologise to any Munster fans listening. Uh, they'll have something to say about whether Leinster are going to be in the final as the Scarlets come again. Oh, brilliant offload. It's Brady with a stroll in under the sticks. Oh, look, it's, it's been a roller coaster um, here all my life. 47-10. Jesus. I thought I was in dreamland when we won the Pro 12. Phenomenal, phenomenal.